Welcome to the Dream Mason Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Terranova. A Dream Mason is a person who's brave enough to declare they have a dream and committed enough to do the work to build it. I know we all have a Dream Mason inside of us, and my dream for this podcast is to support all of us by giving us a glimpse inside the hearts and minds of leaders, creators, and innovators to help us unleash our inner Dream Mason. Because your dreams don't build themselves. What's up? Welcome back to the Dream Mason podcast. I'm Alex Terranova. Thanks for being here, guys. If this is your first time, I really appreciate you checking it out. And if you have been here and listened to the Dream Mason podcast for one minute, five minutes, four episodes, 10 episodes, whatever, thanks for checking it out again. I appreciate your time. I'm super grateful. I'm having so much fun doing this thing and meeting people and having cool conversations and getting people to open up and share their stories and then being able to share it with you guys and getting feedback. It's just really rewarding. So I just really want to express my gratitude in being able to make this content. Today, I wanted to do something a little different. Now, if you've listened to a lot of Dream Mason podcasts prior to this, it might sound the same, but the way we created it was a little different. I actually reached out to a friend. His name is B. Todd Johnson. He is a writer and a filmmaker and an actor. And I didn't know what we were going to create with this, but actually, you know, I know he's a hustler. He is a hard worker. He is a dude who is a good guy with a kind heart who is focused on making his dreams come true. And I reached out to him and I just said, hey, let's, let's cultivate a conversation in where we talk about the things we're going for, the struggles and the hurdles and the challenges and all the things that are involved in dream masonry in building your dreams and going for your goals. You know, it's not all these success stories. There's a lot of junk in the middle that isn't fun. And he was psyched. And what's awesome is right before we did this podcast, he got some cool news about a film that he just has been shopping around to get in some film festivals, and we're going to share that with you. We really take a look at the film that he makes and the conversation that's around it, which is around racism, police brutality, and the racial injustices that are going on in our society. But then we get into his journey and the conversation about how he's hustling and what he's trying to make happen and the ups and the downs and the beginning, middle, and the end of these kinds of stories and how some points are fun and some not so much. I think you will get a ton from this. I hope you create value for yourself. Thanks for being here. I am really looking forward to introducing you to filmmaker, writer, and actor, B. Todd Johnston. So let's get it on. Let's get into it. Hey, B. Todd, what's up, man? I am psyched that we are uh, co-creating this this conversation together. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing good. I'm doing really good. It's, it's a beautiful day in uh, New York City. We had 16 inches of snow on Wednesday, and now it's sun is shining and everything's melted and uh, got good news coming in. So it's been it's been going really well these past couple of days, especially. Nice. That's funny. I'm out here in California and we had six to 10 inches of rain and <laughs> it's a sunny day out here. So it seems like on either coast, I bet like in the middle of the country, it's like probably been perfect. It's and just that. been a very weird exchange of weather patterns lately, but I'm ready for summer to kind of creep in here now or spring. It'd be nice just to get to spring. <laughs> I heard, uh, I'm not going to say who said it cause I don't want to be mean, but I did recently hear someone say the weather patterns, the coldness, the storms, the rain, see global warming's not real. 
And I, and I kind of bit my tongue and I laughed and I went, that's not how it works. Yeah. Like, it's no, not, it doesn't mean that it's always hotter. It actually means it's, it's extreme both ways. Oh, I thought yeah. it was I think I love, I love it when people can't wait to jump on that, that like, see now it's colder. There's a lot of snow. Global warming is a myth. And like, no, this is not global colding either. That's not what it entails. It's pretty good. So, dude, I want to congratulate you to start off. And I know you're going to fill me on the details because I don't know all of it. But I saw online that you guys just that your film and I'm, I'm, I know that I say you guys as in collectively, you didn't make a film all by yourself. But your Correct. film Black, Black and Blue just got accepted into the uh, Big Apple Film Festival. Yeah, that's right. We just got accepted into the Big Apple Film Festival here in New York City. It'll be our New York premiere. Uh, we just got that news yesterday, and uh, we are semifinalists now, so we've been upgraded from just being accepted, and now we are one of the finalists at New Filmmakers, so we'll find out uh, if we are up for any awards. And then, yeah, we just got into Black, App- or sorry, Big Apple Film Festival, the Black Cinema Showcase, uh, and that will be April and, and May. April 7th is Big Apple, but it's really exciting. We We applied to many film festivals and the first 12 in a row said, you know, they passed on us. And so um, we just, we knew we had a really great film and we just kept pushing for it. And now all of a sudden it's just kind of starting to crack open and people are really um, excited to kind of feature us. So it's a, it's a good time. I love that. I love, thanks for saying that, that you like got rejected 12 times. I think it is it's one of those things that we overlook as human beings all the time. Like we always see the successes. Like let's say that black and blue becomes a, a, a amazing and well-known and something that everybody sees, you know, whatever, however that's measured people, that's all people will see. And until yeah. they hear the story of like, Hey, we got rejected 12 times or other businesses where people, you know, got a hundred no's before they got their first. Yes. It's so often that we stop trying and never actually give ourselves that opportunity to get the yes. I'm a believer that like, there's no such, the only way you can actually fail at something is if you stop, because if you kept going, there's always the possibility that you could still succeed. See, I learned very early on that me specifically, that I know now, I know myself well enough that when I'm ready to like give up and turn around is usually when I am closest to arriving at my, my destination or my journey, like whatever that finish line was. I know I always panic uh, when I'm closest to the finish line. Uh, it started with me like, cause I would be driving places and I have a horrible sense of direction. And every time I feel like I passed the turn, I would stop my car and turn around, go back the other way and realize maybe I didn't pass it. And I started noticing that pattern in my, in my life and other directions you know like I almost wanted to quit a job just before I got a promotion or something like that so now I've kind of flipped the perspective where <laughs> I know when I start feeling that anxiety come on of like oh my gosh like what have I done that I'm actually like really close to the big news or the you know the big reveal and so it's it's turned into now a very exciting part of of my emotions <laughs> That's yeah. Really, really, yeah, I think it's almost like the the universe has its like one last push to get you to try to quit. It's like it's one last test. And if you can oh, yeah. withstand it, then you get the gold. Yeah. And I like what you said about like social media, because like, yeah, like you, you'll see right now that we're 
we're celebrating that not only we got into new filmmakers, but we also got into Big Apple and people who are looking at that, you know, it's, it's a lot of hurrah and celebrations around that, but yeah, people don't like, people only post their, their highest highs online. But when you are constantly subjecting yourself to nothing but that on social media, you think that everybody else is just like living this lavish lifestyle. And really it's no, you're just seeing a series of peaks amongst people. You know what I mean? Everybody is going through something and we only put like our proudest moments on social media. Um, but I'm proud to share like the, the parts in between as well. Cause I feel like that just gets totally washed over. And that's part of what makes the win so sweet is that, you know, you went through a great deal of adversity or, just nothingness, just a period of nothingness before you kind of break through. And I think it's important to remind ourselves when we're pursuing our dreams or, you know, our destinies or whatever. As you were saying that, I was thinking like social media is the ESPN sports center of our yeah. lives, right? Yeah. Like on sports center, they don't show you the, the whole middle of the game where nothing happened. No. Like, let's just watch the game again. Cause nobody cares. Right. You watch the game, you watch the game. It's just the highlights and the best moments. And that's really what social media has is, aside from people trying to promote things and sell things. There's very, yeah, there's very little of the struggle unless it's associated with something. Yeah. It's, it's also hard to share. I know for me, you know, one of the things like I've been trying to do in my own life is share the vulnerability, share the, the not wins, because that's what's actually real. Yeah. And it's really hard to have that be authentic. Our ego doesn't want it. You know, if I want to share like a rough thing I'm going through, the way once I flip that camera on, my ego wants to twist it and have it come off so polished and so, it's so concerned of what it looks like that it's even yeah. hard to just be vulnerable and share the messed up stuff. Yeah, because we want everything to be picture perfect. And, you know, we want to believe in our best ideal self and, uh, I think it's really important to commemorate the down times, you know, or the, or the periods that you made it through, you know, I think it's such a, a strength. It's a strengthening thing to look back and be like, I remember the last time I was in this situation and I wasn't feeling well. And anybody who is ever going through a bad time, I'm always sure to tell them, I'm like, listen, of all the bad days you've had previously or all the bad times that you've had in your life, there was never a point where that period did not come to an end. Like every rainy day eventually cleared up and the sun came out, you know, like your life never stayed in that space forever. We've always made it out. So especially when you're in those down times or where you feel not motivated, just, you know, understand sometimes you just got to go through it, but it'll, the world will never keep attacking you and, and keeping you down. It always there's periods where you do feel subject to stress and anxiety and like all these negative emotions and stuff like that. And maybe some stuff is happening to you, you know, like a bill came through that you didn't expect or you got a ticket or, you know, there's a lot of stuff that kind of adds on in one moment and you're just like, Oh my gosh, this is what my life turned into. But it's just a, it's just a fragment, you know what I mean? Of, of a year in your life. It's not that your life stays that way. Our life has never stayed in those downtrodden places. We always make it up. Yeah. It's a storm. It's the storm that came, it comes and it passes. Yeah. I think especially it's, it's important because when people listen to things like this, 
I think they forget who we're talking to, right? We're actually talking to, there's this, uh, an Indian mystic, I think his name is Satguru, but he basically says, I'm talking to a bloated population. And that's who you and I are talking to right now. We're actually talking to a bloated population, right? We're talking to people who are listening to this podcast on super duper iPhones or Android phones that are, that are probably only either new or a generation or two old. Right. They're old bellies. They have clean water. They live, they have shelter, they have jobs or they have access to. We're not actually having this conversation in relationship to someone who's living in, um, poverty or in extreme poverty or maybe in like a, a third world country where they don't even have clean water or food, this wouldn't be a conversation that would even be appropriate or acceptable because it doesn't actually fit. Their their life is a completely different conversation. They have different priorities. Yeah. yeah. And I actually, it's a great, because I want you to, I would love for you, I think this kind of connects to, you know, what black and blue is. Sure. Love, what, what's the movie about? All right. So black and blue is, a movie that basically centers around the issue of police brutality and racial profiling. And um, so it's about, I play a Marine named Eric Brown. I come home uh, from several tours in Afghanistan. And um, one of my childhood friends, a younger friend who's also black is profiled and mistakenly shot and killed by a police officer and uh, basically, you know, um, dealing with PTSD and all sorts of trauma, when I see this cop, when I return home and I see this cop is still out patrolling the same streets uh, and got virtually no kind of punishment whatsoever, um, you know, I just decided that I can't hold my tongue and my character, Eric, has to go say something to this cop. He has to have a conversation to let him know what a brilliant bright child was taken from this world because of a misperception and so the conversation you know takes a turn and um things kind of get out of hand and that's where the movie takes place but um you know we we wanted to take a really honest look about the fabric of racism i guess um you know we wanted to take a look at how especially as bystanders, how people can also enable things to happen. Not to say that anybody would have stopped this police officer from shooting this kid, but the system, you know, how things are treated in the media perception, all those things go into play about how we fuel racism. And, um, you know, I mean, this is just my take on it and certainly not speaking for everybody. And, and this is not a grand truth, but this is certainly something from my perspective and something that I wanted to do because I didn't want it to just be a film. I wanted it to be a conversation, you know? So I think our film does a really good job of provoking a lot of questions and a lot of situations. And it's designed for us to have a conversation about afterwards, you know, like um, meeting with cops, meeting with community leaders and being like, what, what steps can we take to prevent this kind of aggression from happening? Cause Look, I mean, at the end of the day, nobody deserves to be shot for selling loose cigarettes outside of a convenience store or, 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 you know, smothered to death by cops for selling loose cigarettes or for selling bootleg DVDs or, you know, for even running away from a cop in Charleston. You know, like you, you have certain rights and even 
the justice system should allow us to at least make it to jail and at least make it to a trial without being shot and gunned down in the streets. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think there's a, it's your point is like super it's i mean it's super relevant i mean i think there was a, a kid who was shot yesterday right there know. was yeah it was uh, earlier this week he was in his backyard and yeah. all he was doing was uh he had a cell phone and uh that was all that it took for this police officer they were looking for somebody who's breaking into cars and um yeah. stefan clark stefan clark was the name he was 22 years old and he was killed by police uh, by holding a cell phone. As a white male, you're a white male. We can't actually even ever be in a shoe in in in, in a in a different minority shoes, mm-hmm. like fully. It's it's just not possible. And but we were having a cool conversation at, at dinner last night. It was with my family, and I said I I was asked recently like what I'm grateful for, and in that conversation something new showed up for me, and it was. Um, there were all these things that it showed up in my space. Whereas when I get pulled over by a police officer, like I'm actually grateful that I just get a ticket. Like I'm not actually thinking about anything else. Whereas there's a whole nother multiple groups of people out there that when they get pulled over by a police officer, they're literally considered like there's a a choice that has to be made of, I could be shot right now. And it's not far fetched because it happens enough that it's it's a it's a realistic possibility. Same it's, thing if, yeah. if you and I were walking down the street and a, and a cop were to flip on lights and, and want to talk to us, I would have no stress at all. And yet if I was of a different race, and think about our parents, right? When I go out at night or when you go out at night, I don't think our moms are worried about, are we going to get shot? They might be worried, yeah. are we going to get in a car accident? Things like that. But oh, if you're no. of a different race, it's like, hey, is my kid going to get shot tonight for no reason? Yeah, I mean, that that is exactly part of the privilege that we are more or less born into, you know, like, because of the color of our skin, we are not immediately perceived as a threat by a police officer. And shoot, I mean, like, you know, I, I know people, certainly that have even gotten loud with the police officers and gotten in their face and yelled at them that they don't have a right to give them a ticket for this, that and the third. And all they get is a ticket. They don't get slammed against the hood. They don't get, you know, the knee to the back of the neck. And it's unfortunate because, you know, I like I don't think necessarily police officers are to blame because police officers are doing their job by going out. It is their job to serve and protect like not. It's it's unfair to say that all police officers are racist, especially when you have police officers across the racial spectrum, you know, like there are police officers of many different races and we can't say that they're all racist but we do have a system in place that has allowed certain aggressions to go unchecked and we have to do a better job of saying like listen this is not like you should, this is not somebody to be afraid of there are other ways to get control of the situation without drawing a weapon you know without imposing harm and uh, I think it's up to I think it's up to especially, you know, the majority to also bring attention to this issue because it's not fair just for the Black Lives Matter movement to be at the helm. It's not fair for just Colin Kaepernick to be taking a knee, you know, which is originally why all the NFL started taking a knee in the first place was Colin Kaepernick just wanted to draw attention to the victimization, you know, of of yeah. the attacks on 
people of color, you know, and um, well, it's unfortunate, but we have to teach our officers what is a threat and when, what's the appropriate amount of force. Well, I think, I think you said something just now and I, it's perfect because it goes right in. I believe this is how everything works. It's actually the, the violence and the police and in this issue specifically, which is what your movie's about, is actually a symptom of a problem, problem that we have in our society as a whole about us being, I want to say like almost separate. Like we hold each other as different and separate from each other instead of all being the same and connected. We use these things to keep each other apart. And it impacts, this is the trickle down. Right. I, I want to, you know, this is, I, I want to actually talk about, like, get into the conversation of, like, why were you here, too. Okay. Um, you know, so one of the reasons I asked you to be on, on this podcast with me is because you're working on, I mean, this movie is important in terms of our society. It's important for you personally. Um, but basically you're working on building something and there's a ton of ups and downs in what I'm going to call dream masonry, you know, sure. and you, in you building and crafting a dream, there's wins and there's losses. And we talked about that a little bit with social media. And one of the things that, you know, I, I, I really wanted to connect with you on and share with the audience is, you know, you're, I hold you as you're a really good guy with a huge heart and you want to have your work make the world a better place yeah and like that's the thing i'm most present to and it's not easy so i really wanted to have a conversation with you about like how do people like you and me i'm writing a book i've started this podcast you know you're up to other things outside of black and blue how do we how do we and how do we support other people through us in learning to keep moving forward to keep pushing when because mo motivation runs out enthusiasm runs out how do we keep going forward when we're not getting the wins, when the results aren't coming through, and when we are in the middle of a storm that doesn't seem like it's going to be able to pass? Yeah, man, that's tough. Um, so for me personally, um, I, I'm a huge believer in instinct and intuition and i feel like that is very much connected to spirituality whether you know you call it god or whether you call it buddha or allah or you don't even call it you know a god you just call it the universe whatever like i feel like we all have a connection to the energy of this world and a lot of times the things that we want to do the most are like this little voice inside of us that's saying you should do this you should do this and then we, in our cognitive spaces, talk ourselves out of it. And we talk ourselves away from doing it or we, you know, tamp them down, stuff our feelings in a box and try and just like make rational choices, which have their place as well. But ultimately, you know, I spent 16 years in the restaurant industry and all of that was supposedly to feed my dream as an actor. And um, I moved up here from, I was born and raised Atlanta, Georgia. And so I moved up here about four years ago, trying to pursue my dreams of just being an actor. I didn't want to be a filmmaker originally. Um, you know, I just wanted to be a successful actor. And that just meant like working, you know, on plays, working in films, on TV, like doing that. Um, but the funny thing is after moving up here, I, I had a lot of adversity, like 
sure it's New York city. There's a lot more talent. There's a lot more of competition and stuff like that, but it's just like nothing was happening for me the way it was in previous parts of my career. Like everywhere I went was a closed door. And yet I still knew that's what I wanted to do. You know, I still like, I still knew that that's the step I wanted to take was this is the industry I wanted to be in. And I just had to, one day I just like kind of broke down. I wouldn't necessarily call it that I hit rock bottom, but I just, I stopped. It's like, stop the presses. I stopped my life. And I was just like, this is not the way that I wanted it to be. And I need to go ahead and take inventory and find out what are things like if I, I asked myself, if I moved to New York all over again, if I literally went back in time, what would I do differently? And how can I start doing those things today? And so it started with, you know, I was working a side job at many restaurants and was lucky enough to find one that I was with for like three years up here in New York. And, um, it was good to me, but also that industry, not that there's anything wrong with the restaurant industry, but to me, I had gone as far as I could go in that industry and it became more than just a side job. All of a sudden it took over and became like my main focus and energy of how to survive in New York city. And that was one of the first things that had to go for me because I felt like it was, it was not nurturing my soul and I already had other things that I needed to do. And how was I going to do them if I felt like I was giving all my time and energy and my spirits to this place, you know? And so first thing I had to do was I had to find different ways to make money. And then I had to find a way to make myself a different artist. And so it turned from me just wanting to be an actor and turning away from just looking to book roles and leaning on all of my talents and realizing that, you know, Hey, I studied screenwriting twice in undergrad and in grad school. And I went to undergrad to learn how to make movies as a matter of fact. So why am I not taking opportunities now to create my own work? And so that's kind of where it started. And, um, and yeah, I mean, for your other point about when you get to those lulls, um, I think it's really important for everybody to know that when you take a leap of faith on yourself and you say, okay, I have felt like it has been a calling for me to do this. And you make that jump. Initially, things go really well for you. Like initially you make that choice and it feels like the universe just gives you a hug. Feels like a couple of things really, really go right for you. And they're like, yes, you absolutely made the right choice. And then you get to a point where you keep doing things and all of a sudden it feels like things slow way down. It feels like certain things start hitting you and start like laying on top of you and weighing you down and you, everybody, I feel like gets this point where they're just like, Oh God, what have I done? I would have been so much better if I had just stayed there, done things differently. But I think it's important to know that retrograde is like a real thing. And like, not in terms of like retrograde of mercury, although I'm sure it's very similar, but like retrograde is, a term I learned in astrology, sorry, astronomy. <laughs> um, but it's like the perception that because something is farther away in the distance, as you're like, as you're spinning kind of like on earth, you realize that, you know, you look like you're catching up to something and then you pass it 
And then it looks like all of a sudden you're going backwards just because of how you and this other thing in space are oriented. And I feel like when we jump ship from the plane that we were already on, the motion that we were already on, and we decide to get off of that train and start following our dreams, that going in the opposite direction, sometimes it feels like the destiny that we previously left is doing better than we are and not realizing that we are headed to a completely different space and we have to start getting comfortable with new problems and new territory because the familiar stuff is what we didn't like. The familiar stuff is what we had to get away from. You know what I mean? So once you start seeing new things or sometimes you just feel like nothing at all is happening to understand that every day you're doing something and the landscape is literally changing around you and you just have to have the patience to just like keep going through that and creating your, your next adventure. I hear, I hear like the beginning, middle and end as for me, that's kind of what, you know, the way you just described it is in the beginning of things, I don't care what they are, whether it's a movie or your life or a new choice or a new job, it's super interesting and exciting. Yeah. Right. Like what a relationship specifically, how excited are we when we're in a new relationship? Oh, yeah or a new job. And you think about it, people get like new jobs and they turn out to be the same job just in a different place, like over yeah. time. But same thing with relationships. But we get these new things, whether we've chosen them or they've fallen, somehow been created and kind of like worked their way to us. And we're super excited and it's interesting. And even the tough things come off as a challenge, not as hard. And then when we the newness wears off, we find ourselves in the in like the muck of it which is like the middle, right? The middle right. of a movie is the dense part of it. It's got all the, all the details and all the, like you're sloshing through the mud. And that's in a way when to, to what I heard in your choice, what I heard in what you shared is that we get to that part where that's where it starts to feel like, man, I shouldn't have done this. I should go back. Um, I made the wrong choice. It's hard. The results aren't coming in. This person's not as awesome as I thought they were when I met them. And the only way we ever get to the exciting part again, which is the end, which the end is where all the rewards are reaped, where all right. the goals are met, where everything we've worked for finally pays off, is if we actually like slodge through that mud. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is truly growth happening to you in the process. It's you telling the universe, you know what? I don't want this anymore. I want to go after this. Like, this is what I've had in my heart, my dreams since I was a child. I'm, I'm no longer living just to work and exist in this space. I'm going to create a world for myself. And then you, you go there and you're in that honeymoon phase for a bit, man. Like, just like you said, like, it's like a new relationship. And once you get to that middle, all of a sudden it's like, because you're overwhelmed with new problems, new enemies, you know, new um, challenges to your life. It's like, oh man, what am I doing here? This is all new. But you have to remind yourself like, of course it's new. That's what you left it for. You know, like that's, that's what you wanted. And so you have to find inspiration and say, now I'm going to tackle these problems because this too is going to make me stronger. This is going to make me better. And when I get on the other side of this, oh boy, will it be a legend? But yeah, I mean, you're right. I like, I, and you say movies, I like to think of it as trilogies. Nobody, 
nobody ever enjoys the middle film of a trilogy. You ever notice that? <laughs> like the, the second movie in a trilogy is always the worst of the trilogy. And you then you're like, oh God, in I have ba- to wait for the third to come out. In Back to the Future, the third one is not the best. <laughs> like, you know, it's, sorry, it's not. Like the yeah. second one is definitely better than the third one. <laughs> That's true. That's not a universal truth across the board, but a lot of trilogies you'll find the second movie is gross. Uh, Spider-Man 2 was actually better than Spider-Man 3, that, the Sam Raimi. That was horrible. Oh, God. It's funny that you said that. Pop, I don't know. I mean, I love Back to the Future, but it's funny <laughs> that that popped into my mind. And I don't even hate the third movie. I mean, I like that it's, like, totally different than the first two, but... Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Um, what, uh... So, even in the... Before I ask you actually this question, yeah, even in the... The funny thing about this is even the newness itself is messy because... Yeah. You know, you say you've made a new choice. Often when we, the thing that we make, like making a movie is not an easy thing to do, but just the fact that you made a new choice to create a new way to support yourself so you could actually pursue this thing you wanted. The newness of the new choice in itself is inherently difficult because anything that's new is inherently challenging. Now, I would say difficult or hard is actually a way that we relate to a problem or we relate to a situation, right? If I, if you throw me in a pool and I've never swam, I can say, wow, this is really difficult or hard. And that's pretty disempowering. Or I could say, wow, this is really challenging, which is a completely different perspective on the exact same thing. But challenging is likely going to push me and propel me forward. Whereas this is really hard is going to have me suffer through it. Yeah. I I like that a lot because so if something is hard, that's like an end result, right? You know, like levels are hard, puzzles are hard. But if you say it's challenging, all of a sudden that's an active verb that I can, that I'm now working with. Now it's a process. It's not something happened to me. Now it's like, I am going to tackle this. I love that. That's cool. And then I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a grammar person. So thanks. for oh, a Huge grammar person. Oh my God. <laughs> As a writer, you know, like, you'll notice that we comb over words, you know, like, because the right, it's not even the right word, but the right arrangement of words. Like I'll go back. I was, I was on LinkedIn earlier today and I actually went back and edited a post that I did like two weeks ago. Cause I wanted to change the phrasing as if like, who's looking at that now, but you know, I just, I'm, I, words are very powerful. And if, yeah. if they're powerful, not only in telling a story and script, they're also powerful to us and how we talk to ourselves, you know, that's why I, I really like what you said about it's, it's not hard, it's challenging, because challenging naturally implies there's going to be a reward at the end of that road. It also, it also implies, I, I mean, I, I'm really present to this right now for myself, because I think I am in the muck of the things I'm doing. You know, I started my uh, coaching practice and I started the Dream Mason brand about three years ago. I started writing my book about two-ish years ago. I'm on the second draft of that book. Uh, The podcast, this, you know, I'm in the high teens, early 20s of recording them. I'm like in the middle of it. It's all this stuff isn't exciting and fun. You know, it was super exciting to write the first draft of my book. The second draft is a daunting nightmare. I got to do this whole thing again. And I don't even, it's like this giant elephant. I don't even know where to play with. And same thing with like my, my practice and my brand. It's I'm in the muck of it. And I think for me, I've been realizing a lot. It's challenging is a growth oriented conversation. 
And if you said to me, I want you to, you know, go help me promote, let's just say this movie, man, I'd be like, I don't know anything about that. That sounds really hard. And if I simply change it to, this is really challenging. Now there's something for me to get out of it. I actually, uh, for lack of a better word, I can enroll myself in the thing I'm going after because I have something to gain. When something's hard or difficult, I don't know what there is to take away from it except suffering and, and <laughs> miserable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, th- there is use in, you know, like what is it? The, the Marines always say when it comes to like working out and stuff like that, that pain is weakness, leaving the body, <laughs> which I, you know, I typically do play a lot of Marines and cops and stuff like that. So I, I build on, marine quotes and stuff like that to kind of help get me in character get me focused sometimes and uh another one that really really helped me and i teach this to my public speaking students um as well but embrace the suck it is one of the most freeing things (laughs) embrace the suck because essentially what you're saying is you know what i know this is going to be hard i know it's going to be stupid but there's literally nothing I can do about it. But as soon as I get it out of the way, as soon as I'm done with it, it's over and I'm a better person. And that's what I'm going for. So no, it's not necessarily saying, you know, it's not necessarily changing the phrase to it's challenging, but accept the fact that this is not going to be fun, but something great comes from this. And um, it just kind of helps you just be like, yeah, all right, well, I can't change the fact that it's not going to be pleasurable, but I can get used to it and prepare for that because of it. Yeah. And I think that you, what you just pointed to really is great in that conversation that we were having earlier about how it depends on the population you're speaking to. If you're training me to go essentially kill people in another country for military purposes, it's a different conversation, right? Like a military training that, that pain leaving the body. Yeah that's actually not the conversation that most people are that listening to this podcast are are having in their lives. It's, it's a, I don't know that I want my military people to think of killing, like killing people in another country is challenging. Like, I don't know that I want them to think of it as a game. No. (laughs) Right. Versus you or me working on our goals, let it be challenging. They're, by nature, military cops, um, people that have essentially firemen, like people that have to do some of the work that a lot of us would cho- actively choose not to do, yeah, almost requires that they embrace the pain and the suffering. Yeah, but that's not the norm. That's not the average person out there in the world actually has a choice to not suffer and embrace the pain. That's a that's actually a choice. That's true. But it's, it's true. I mean, I think that. I think that pain comes to our lives in different ways though, whether it's loss or change or certain things and not like, I, you know, it's funny that you say that it's for that, for like for Marines to go kill people. But I wasn't even thinking about that. I was, I mean, I was more so thinking of just like how Marines will like, you know, like if you're like on a sniper team and you just have to sit out and scout in the freezing cold weather and just like wearing nothing but camouflage for three days and eating rations. But there is a lot of like inspiration I can draw from that because I'm just like, man, like, you know, like that job in particular was probably not very fun, but 
Yeah. I don't necessarily mean it for killing people or charging down fires. I just mean when stuff gets difficult, just realize you'll survive it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, lo- I just love the idea that it's actually different. It doesn't, there is no one rule that applies to everyone, right? Yeah. If we're needing food and we live somewhere where there's no food or we're in a country like here where there's a lot of access to things and the system has us not provide for people or people are subject to like racism and things like that, or you're going into war or you're someone like you or me who is super lucky essentially and has a lot of the benefits just because of who we were luckily born into be, everyone still has their own set of problems. And so everybody gets to relate to the things, how they're going to choose to relate to it. I see that as the bigger thing is like, we always get the choice of how we're going to relate to whatever it is. So here's a question for you. Have the people around you changed since you started going for what you desired and dreamed of most since you started masoning your own dream? Yes. Um, and it's actually one of the toughest things to be with about this. Um, well, first of all, I think as I've started to look at myself and go deeper and deeper within myself, whether it be emotionally and feelings, which is something as men were not really taught like how to do. Oh, sure. Or go into the, the ego and the autopilot behaviors and the masks that we wear, like essentially our personalities our personalities are not born into us. We create them. They are learned behaviors. Um, There's interesting things like I can see mindset things in myself that I learned from my parents that are not true. I was, I was actually working, this is another thing one of those hard things. I was with my dad the other day and I asked him if he wanted, he was, he, this is great. Um, He wanted to fax something. And I laughed and I was like, dad, no, who's going to get it? What do you mean you're going to fax something? I said, let me show you how to use an app on your iPhone to actually take a picture and then you can just email it to the person. It's actually just way easier. It's it's easier. And he looks at me and he goes, and he's like, I don't want to do it right now. And I'm like, dad, let me just show you. Like we both are not doing anything at this moment. And he goes, and I go, it's really easy. And he looks at me hundred percent like deadpan honest and goes, nothing is easy. <laughs> and I went, Oh my God. But, but, and that's a mind, like that's a total mindset. Right. And, mm. um, I can see things within my mom that I like learned from her that are learned attitudes and focuses about having the world. Like my, my family in general is a family that is waiting for the next shoe to drop. So while we've pretty much always had it pretty good, they're always waiting for like the bad news or the something to happen to ruin it all. There's a belief that there's never enough money, that something bad's going to happen and all the money's going to go away and like you're going to be like eating cat food when you're old. And the one, so when it comes to that, I, look, I see that in my family. Yeah. And it's really hard because I love them. And it's, there's nothing wrong, right? They're not doing anything wrong. There's nothing wrong with them. I've just pull, I'm just purposely trying to pull myself out of the unconscious. And now I'm seeing where all my stories got created. So sometimes it's really challenging to be with family because all the stuff I'm working on changing is like glaring in my face. Yeah. When it comes to, you know, me and you met in like the restaurant business, you know, people that have been in that world know a lot about that business. That is a cool, fun, alcohol, drug. Oh man, it's crazy. Every night's a party. Yeah. And 
And it's a very victim-y business. Everybody's a victim. The owners are victims to the staff. The managers are victims to the owners. The staff is victims to everybody that they interact with. The chefs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, literally everyone's a victim to everyone else. And then there's this like, we, they all kind of cover it up with like the drugs, the alcohol, the partying and the sex. And I think when I go back to that world, like all the friends that I made and the, I have amazing relationships from that world. I think there's a twofold thing. One is it's hard sometimes to be with, to be with and hang out with some of my old friends because we're actually just, I want, I don't know a better word, but we're like vibrating on a different level. The yeah. place, like uh, the, the, the language I'm using, the mindset I'm thinking, the, the, the conversations I'm having are simply different, not better, but different. Yeah. And I think the other side is some of the people like can't be with me. And because I don't know what it is that I bring up for them that, you know, that maybe sometimes I think like a lot of people, like they're not actually happy where they are. And I took some crazy risks. I quit my job with zero, basically, basically no money in the bank, no Same clients me. and started Same from scratch. Yeah. And you and I know people that would love to do that, that simply are too afraid. And instead of actually acknowledging, Hey, I'm afraid. A lot of them will blame it on circumstances or things where we had that stuff too. We just chose you and I both chose, like, I can't live like this anymore. Right. So yeah. I, I mean, it's, I, I, I was just reading about this on psychology today, um, but there are emotional vampires are a very real thing. You know what I mean? Like, and so this was, this is like a clinical study by psychology today and said that there are five types of emotional vampires. And these are some of the symptoms after you come into, after you come in contact with an emotional vampire and see if this doesn't ring true for some of these but symptoms are your eyelids are heavy and you feel like you need a nap. Your mood immediately takes a nosedive. You binge on carbs or comfort foods. You feel anxious, depressed, or negative, and you feel put down. And the five different types of, nar of, sorry, of emotional vampires that you notice in your life are the narcissist, the victim, the constant victim, the controller, the constant talker, and the drama queen. And so once you start going down your path and you realize I'm no longer just going to go with the flow, I'm going to take control of my own life. And I'm just going to, I mean, for me, it was, I'm just going to embrace the suck and I'm just going to whip this thing around on the highway. And I'm going to start going the other direction. Cause this is not, this is not the zone I'm supposed to be in. And I noticed that, you know, the people that try and talk you out of your dream, who try and talk you out of what you know in your heart is going to be the thing that fulfills you, are usually emotional vampires and fall under one of those five types. And you know, you notice right away that there's just some disconnect where you're just like, I don't see how you can be that negative about this world and yet continue to perpetuate the things like, how can you continue doing the things that you hate just to go on through life complaining about the things that you hate. Like why not work towards something that makes you happy? You know? Well, yeah. I, I, I mean, I remember being one of those vampires too, right? Like it's a, I totally remember being someone who hated on other people's dreams. Yeah. Not because of them. I can see now it was like, because I was unhappy because I was afraid to go after what I wanted. I remember being someone who just like judged everyone all the time. 
because it was way easier than actually having to look at myself and, and actually deal with my own stuff. Right. Um, total complainer, total, and actually like a, clo- like a closet complainer. Like it wasn't an obvious complaint. It was, it was more of a disagree. Sure. Looking for what was wrong or what could go wrong. It's, I think it's, it's thanks for that. I, I haven't seen that article and that's a really, it's, it's cool that they broke it down because I can see where I used to be and I can also see where I still am, right? I don't actually believe that we're never perfect. We're human beings. So we're, we're flawed. There are days where I'm not a fun, awesome, positive, motivational human being. Sure. There are days that I suck. And that's, it's human, you know, and, and it's actually in those days to try to not whip myself with it, you know, to actually just like, be like, Hey, it's okay. You're, you're sad today or you're depressed today, or you just feel like you suck today. And there's actually nothing wrong with it. Man. I, you know, like I said, like we were just talking about with social media, how you only see people's peaks. I, some of the best advice I can give to people sometimes is like, listen, man, on days when you feel like crap and you feel like you don't feel like doing anything, it is okay to not do anything. (laughs) Like it really is. The world keeps turning. You're not going to damage yourself by like taking a day off. But like when your mind and your body are both overrun by just the stresses of this everyday world, wherever you are, it is perfectly okay to still be successful by just taking a day and being like, I'm just not going to do anything today because you know what? The next day, I'm probably going to work twice as hard as I did that day anyway. So it'll always even up. You never know when certain opportunities are happening around the corner that you had no control over that. Like, and I mean like good opportunities, like positive things, like miracles and blessings and stuff like that. A lot of those things happen whether you did something that day or not, that you're, they're totally like out of your control. You know what I mean? So if you feel like shit, just feel that way for that day, you know? And then like (laughs) plan your, I, I told somebody the other day who was going through a really rough time and I was, she was just like, I feel like every day I'm just kind of like preparing for a bad day. I feel like every day I'm preparing not to feel well, or I'm going to be stressed out or I'm just going to cry in the middle of the day. And I asked her, I was like, all right. So you're like, you know, how you said your parents, like, you know, they're, or your families that they're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. I was like, part of that is like a self-fulfilling prophecy, because if that's what you're preparing for, then you cannot be surprised that that's what you end up getting. But have you ever actively planned for a good day? Have you ever actively <laughs> planned and like, you know what I mean? Like sat down and be like, you know what people actually often avoid it. How often do you hear someone like don't have expectations or don't like expectations are an, actually an issue versus I love what you're saying. Like plan for a good day. Yeah. I, I have it that you plan for a good day, but you're not attached to it. Like you're like, I'm going to focus and I'm going to do everything I can to have this go well. And I can't be attached to it because I don't get to decide everything that happens in the entire universe. Yeah. I think that's incredibly freeing it's incredibly freeing just to be okay to what happens. Like when I started taking uh, improv with Upright Citizens Brigade, I thought it was just like the most freeing thing. Cause finally as an actor now, I don't have to memorize lines. I don't have to prepare my emotions to go down this certain route. And now all of a sudden it's like, no, there is no script. There's just a suggestion and whatever happens, go with it. And that for me, like it was, it was the beauty of, a new challenge and something to distract me from everyday 
other problems, but it was also, you know, a new way to a new perspective, a new way to think things through and to be okay with what happens, you know, like everybody wants a good improv bit to go. Um, but sometimes, you know, the only way that it can is if you just give yourself into whatever happens, give into the circumstances. Yeah. You like surrender. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I think there's a, this is a, a really conscious conversation in, in what I'm about to share in the sense of, I love that you said, Hey, if you feel this way, give yourself a day off, take that time. Um, get recharged, you know, instead of doing a client, like having a client or, or writing, go, go for a run, go to a yoga class, go sit and drink tea and read a book, whatever it is that sources you. Yeah. I think the conscious thing is we sabotage ourselves. So if you want to take your game to the next level, it's about actually actively choosing what you're doing. So if I'm going to choose to, t- to do something instead of the thing I had planned, like let's say, Hey, I have two hours blocked after this call to write and I notice I'm feeling like not really in the mood that I can, that can also be like my ego sabotaging me to keep me stuck. Because if I actually write, I could actually produce something that could move me and get me really out of my comfort zone. I could succeed and that would be uncomfortable. Right. So the, the mindfulness piece is to actually not let yourself, to not let your feelings or your mood actually run the show either which is yeah. such a trap because it's like, Hey, respect your feelings. And we can't let our feelings run the show because they will keep us exactly where we are. Yep. Mainly so, fear, fear and doubt. Those are two major like roadblocks when you start pursuing your own passions, because mm-hmm. you will always be afraid of the what if, and you will always doubt yourself and be like, well, sure these other people are successful but i'm not sure that i'm them or and and i draw a lot of inspiration from people that i don't find are talented <laughs> you know what i mean like i hate to say that in a negative way but sometimes you see somebody and you're like this is garbage and this is really popular right now so if they can do it i know i can do it too and sometimes that's my motivation other days it's by surrounding myself by people that i really want to create art like you know, and I, I think that's, I think it's always important, but <laughs> to find motivation in the highs and the lows. What's the best way that you've found? So when you were like, let's just use black and blue, for example, I know there were periods where like, maybe you couldn't get money or where there were problems with the way it was shooting or going or distribution, how, whatever things that you encountered specifically with that, how did you stay positive? How did you stay motivated? How did you keep the train moving forward even f- when it felt like you were walking backwards on a forward moving train? Oh yeah, man. Um, well, to stay positive is almost impossible because there are days when everything hits the fan and it's impossible to stay positive. But the key is always to getting back to the positive. Because I think it's something impossible to stay positive, but if you can always get back to the positive, you'll always stay on track. And um, for me, I think part of it was realizing, okay, like I'm in new territory, but I am determined to reach this goal. And so you have to be, you have to have the mindset to understand that when things don't go the way that you have planned them, that sometimes you just need to take a different approach. You need to 
try a different strategy to approach a problem. And so like, yeah, we, I mean, I was, I think my first Indiegogo campaign for black and blue, the goal was $10,000 and we never, we made it to a third. Exactly. We raised $3,330 through Indiegogo. Um, But I had already set myself up for success by, I had a group of investors and like, I'm, I'm very proud to announce that like, you know, my core investor group with this project was my fraternity, um, Phi Beta Sigma, which is, you know, it's no secret that I was the uh, sole white member of a black fraternity. And uh, that's why, in part, why I did this movie with them is because I wanted to raise, bring my platform to an issue bigger than myself and certainly something that our fraternity as a whole covers. Um, And so I had them and I also drew inspiration from them when things weren't going well. And my creative solution in the moment was, you know, I realized there are other ways that I could find money. It just wasn't going to be by asking people for it. You know, sometimes you have to do a car wash. Sometimes you have to just go approach strangers and like, you know, not panhandle, but you know what I mean? Like there's, if, if you're willing to get to the goal, then be willing to find multiple different ways to do it. And then one of the biggest barriers was when our movie hit a certain point in post where it's looking like it was not going to be completed by this person that we had hired. And so uh, that's when a great deal of like my emotions overran me because I was mad. I was mad at that person. I was mad at, you know, myself for letting us get in this position. I was mad that the film now was going to be delayed by a year because we shot it in 2016, you know, but it's 2018 now. And we're just getting into festivals because it didn't finish post until last September. And um, again, it was just like we're talking about, like when bad things happen, I just give myself like that day or whatever to just let the negative just kind of run its course. You know, like I, I feel stressed. I feel overwhelmed. I'll try and go do something to distract myself to be like, I can't think about this right now. And then when that has had its time and place and burn itself out, then it's like, okay, now I'm ready to get to the solution. And being that I'm already a creative person, you know, I just lean on my creativity a little bit more to be like, all right, well, this is, this is a new problem, right? Or this is a new challenge as we've now said. So how am I going to get myself out of this one? And sometimes, you know, like that's all that it takes to be like, I can get through this. How am I going to do it? And you start telling your brain, all right, listen, guys, we got to like think a different way around this. We got to like figure out a roadmap to take a detour because this road is closed. So we got to be open to new paths. And then, you know, like it'll be something arbitrary that I'm doing a day or two later. And all of a sudden the solution just pops up in my head, like literally just like that. And that's, that's just for me personally, but it's literally that easy of just like you set your mind in motion that, this is not going to be the way. So we have to start thinking of different ways and be open to new ideas. And then all of a sudden, you know, you keep, I'll I'll brainstorm and brainstorm and nothing sounds good, but because you've already rewired your brain to kind of think through it, it's only a matter of time before you actually do. Um, And that was, that was another thing that kept me going. Um, And then third of all, is just like, you know, I, spiritually, I just felt like 
this was my calling that this movie was meant like my life my experiences everything had led up to me making this movie and I told myself it was going to get done no matter what and so there was a bit of pride involved there where I just refused to fail you know and I think especially from like what I, I hear a lot of people say now is that you know, I, you'll say, yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I feel, I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to make it. And a lot of people are quick to be like, no, you've already made it. Like the, the moment you made that decision to be successful, to make a film, to do something different in your life that you've never done before, that is when you became successful. It's not the end result of actually getting the film done and all that stuff. That's part of it. Those are check marks. But the moment that you decided to take your life in your own hands and believe in yourself and invest in yourself. That's when that's the moment you were successful. And that always gave me positive energy and strength, you know, no matter what crisis happened, I was always going to get through it. If people want to see black and blue, if people want to follow you, you know, talk to you. Yeah. What's the best way to connect or see the movie? So I would say Instagram is like the number one way that we're, we're probably being interacted with. And you can follow us at black in blue film. That's B L A C K N B L U E F I L M black and blue film on Instagram. We're also on uh, Facebook. Um, and then you can follow me on Instagram as well. B Todd's world. I have another film I'm working on. It's a comedy. I'm another a strength of mine. I mean, black and blue is a serious piece, but my, the core of me, I love to make people laugh. And so Bregs Essential is the new one. And both of those can be seen through my page at B Todd's world on Instagram as well. Hey, thanks for being a guy who is just so passionate, so motivated. There's so much heart, there's so much kindness, and there's so much about a bigger picture of like actually helping the world and making the, the place we live in be better for all of us, not just for yourselves or the small community around you. I agree. I agree. And thank you for having me on it. Cause I, when you invited me, I was just really excited. Still am really proud to be on here and just, I'm, I've enjoyed watching you work and, and everything that you've built and the journey that you've had. And it's been inspirational to me as well. So I'm glad that we could kind of pair together for this and, and, and do it. Thank you for checking out the Dream Mason podcast. Whether you're a longtime listener or just taking a peek, I am grateful to have you here. Please tag a friend who needs to hear this episode, subscribe to the podcast, and give us a review if you like what you heard. If you want more, you can follow me, Alex Terranova, on Instagram at inspirationalalex at thedreammason.com or email me at alex at thedreammason.com. Remember, you are a dream mason because your dreams don't build themselves.